Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This on-air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's guest is attorney Nick Anestisopoulos. Nick is a partner at Myrick O'Connell, practices in the firm's Labor, Employment, and Employee Benefits Group, and chairs the Higher Education Group. You can learn how Nick and his colleagues at Myrick O'Connell can assist you with your business and personal legal needs by visiting MyrickO'Connell.com. We should note that we're recording this episode in the midst of the coronavirus or COVID-19 crisis. So today, Nick will discuss with us labor issues during this crisis in the National Labor Relations Board specifically, or the NLRB. Nick, thanks so much for joining me on on air with Myrick O'Connell. Good morning. Good morning, Howard. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This is the first question, Nick, before we uh, start on some of the nitty-gritties is, what are your opening thoughts for employers during this crisis? So, as you mentioned in the opening, we've sort of been dealing with this now, sort of certainly for the last two weeks full on, but it's sort of an evolving situation now for almost a month. Um, and it's sort of uh, obvious in looking at this. The first, there's sort of three things that are sort of converging here. And the first is obviously the formidable health and safety challenges that employers face uh, that is sort of sitting on top of uh, bargaining obligations under the National Labor Relations Act um, or Chapter 150E for public sector employees, uh, for those that have unions. Uh, and then the final point that is sort of lurking in the background here is sort of the employment market realities prior um, to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, many of our clients were sort of finding themselves in sort of full employment situations where it was a competitive marketplace um, and having access to good employees was proving to be a challenge and sort of employers were going above and beyond in terms of recruiting, retention, uh, et cetera. So, you know, you've ha- you have all these three things uh, coming together now and sort of that is sort of the backdrop against, you know, the, the decisions that employers are making. Uh, as it relates to their employees um, uh, on a going forward basis. So the the other question that I had is, is the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, open for business? In, in other words, are there are there folks that um, are there to uh, to do what needs to be done? They are, uh, but depending on your region, uh, when I last checked, there were six regional offices. Uh, that were closed, predictably some of them in and around New York City, some of the hot spots, but then there was also some uh, offices uh, in the south and in the west where I wouldn't necessarily identify them as hot spots, but perhaps because of staffing level uh, and folks getting sick, uh, they were forced to close. But currently there are six regional offices that are closed as of today. Uh, however, the regional office here in Boston is open. Um, the NLRB, like every other uh, employer and agency, has put protocols in place uh, in terms of social distancing, et cetera, which obviously poses an issue for one of the more important things that they do, which is running elections. And there was a period of time uh, that they weren't running elections, but they lifted that uh, as of yesterday, April 6th. So for the two weeks prior, any pending elections, uh, that was suspended. Um, and uh, But... Uh, Last Friday, they issued uh, the memorandum uh, was issued uh, indicating that elections would start going forward, um, and that during the two, the two weeks downtime, the office uh, has come up with protocols 
in order to have those elections go forward in a safe manner. Sure. What are the uh, employer's bargaining obligations typically, just generally, uh, Nick, and how, if at all, has that changed during this health crisis? So the bargaining obligation itself hasn't changed. You know, under the National Labor Relations Act in Chapter 150, there's uh, imposition on an employer to, there is a duty to bargain in good faith over mandatory subjects of bargaining, and those include wages, hours, and terms and conditions of employment. So what that means is an employer in a unionized environment can't unilaterally make changes to terms and conditions of, of employment, and there is no sort of exception in a crisis. Um, so those obligations are present, and employees, employers need to think about that. Is there a chance that once, say, a change is made, because a lot of changes are being made on the fly, that the the duty to bargain will take so long that by the time the change actually takes effect, the change won't be needed anymore? <laughs> uh, that's always a possibility. There was recent guidance uh, from the general counsel at the NLRB uh, that talked about economic exigencies, creating extraordinary circumstances. And typically, the cases that they cited, uh, the typical situation was where there was a government-ordered shutdown or an evacuation in, in anticipation of a natural disaster or hurricane. And so you do have that scenario where you have to take immediate action. I'm not quite sure. Uh, that this health crisis falls into that category, but there is a recognition that uh, your bargaining duties will have to take into account sort of the reality. So under normal circumstance, uh, in terms of bargaining, there's an obligation to notice and to give the union a meaningful opportunity to sort of digest what you're suggesting to them would be the change, and then they reach out to you, and there's sort of, for lack of a better term, this dance that happens, right? You set up the meetings, you meet, there's no hard and fast rule, how many times you have to meet or for how long, um, but, you know, you go back and forth with the union, and at some point you either reach an agreement or you reach impasse and you implement. Um, here, obviously, uh, you're doing it at a different pace, uh, whether it's uh, an order that comes from the federal government, shelter in place or an advisory to stay at home um, uh, and telecommute if possible. Um, obviously, if there's a date certain that, that needs to happen, you know, you don't have the luxury of the typical weeks or months to reach impasse or reach an agreement. You know, for example, if you know because of your economic situation uh, that you are going to be doing layoffs in July, um, you may start to bargain with the union in a normal course in April as that sort of picture becomes clearer for the employer and the direction they want to go in. Obviously, that isn't something that you can do in this circumstance. Um, so if there was you know, if you had, if there was an obligation uh, to close your operation or do something different with your operation by week's end, and you only knew about it on Monday, you would obviously send the union a notice, ask them if they have any questions or concerns to contact you immediately. Uh, identify the implementation date, and maybe in that circumstance, what I would recommend the client is to offer a series of dates prior to that. Friday day that, you know, uh, you're making a change to your operation to sort of force the issue and force the union to come in. This is very helpful information, Nick. And uh, one, one question I have as an offshoot of that is, as the National Labor Relations Board or the NLRB, which we're talking about, ha have they offered employers any guidance specifically about this? Well, in, in the 
General Counsel's memo, they, they do talk about the continuing obligation, and obviously they identify issues like social distancing uh, while you're while you're doing uh, impact bargaining with your unions. Um, they've identified sort of a variety of different, you know, they pointed out that health and safety concerns are something that you have to bargain, even if it's improving your PPE, um, unilaterally doing that in certain contexts can be an issue. Um, so in their guidance, they do talk about the obligation to bargain and potential areas that would need to be bargained, just sort of flagging it proactively. The NLRB uh, is comprised of appointees from the sitting administration, um, and so this administration has more of a, uh, a, a pro-employer bent to it. I don't think that's uh, breaking news. The previous administration and Obama board uh, had more of a pro-employee, pro-union bent to it. So the tone and the direction of these memos uh, probably would have sounded very different uh, under an Obama board. Um, but, you know, the memo uh, issued by the general counsel is sort of pointing out uh, the issue uh, pointing out circumstances uh, where exigencies exist uh, and identifying areas that employers need to be thinking about and a path forward under those under the current circumstances. Interesting point about that and politics. You mentioned, uh, and this is just uh, housekeeping. You mentioned an acronym. I think it was PPE in the in the last response. Nick, what, what does that stand for? Personal protective equipment. Um, obviously, that is exactly what it suggests. It's equipment or gear that employees. Uh, would wear uh, to protect them from an, an environmental hazard or a hazard at the workplace. So depending on what the hazard is, the PPE obviously changes, but you know, we've heard a lot about masks and, uh, and protective gear here with the coronavirus. So uh, that's what that's in reference to. Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. Uh, so we talked a little bit about this before, and maybe we can get into some of the uh, more nitty-gritty details here. What are the specific issues that employers are thinking about that might trigger bargaining obligations, which you mentioned before? So the first one, obviously, dovetails in with the clarification on the PPE is employee health and safety. Um, the CDC and OSHA have issued guidances um, and depending on the guidance in your industry, you may need to make changes as, as an employer. Um, so that is something that you clearly have to negotiate with the union, even if, as I mentioned, even if it's an enhancement to what you have in place currently, uh, the obligation doesn't change. It would be technically considered uh, a unilateral change if you made a change in requirements uh, to your PPE or health and safety policies. Um, making those changes without engaging the union, particularly if there's going to be discipline associated with noncompliance. Um, that's something that you need to talk to the union about. Uh, another issue that employers are dealing with is attendance. Um, and there's been you know, changes in the federal law over this and I think subjects of other podcasts that you've had. Uh, so without getting into a lot of detail over that, but people are obviously nervous. They're nervous for their themselves, they're nervous for loved ones maybe at home that may be more susceptible or at risk, uh, and employees are really sort of thinking about their attendance policies and whether that can be a temporary relaxing of those attendance uh, policies. And so that's another area that they're looking at. Uh, staffing is obviously an area that they're looking at um, and how they stagger schedules and shifts. Uh, if there is work to be done, but sort of sitting on top of all this is sort of social distancing and better practices uh, in terms of trying to, you know, uh, limit exposures. 
if you have, let's say you're in manufacturing um, and you only run two shifts, a traditional first shift and the second shift, and you don't work weekends, you know, as an employer, you know, to meet sort of commitments that you've made uh, to contracts, you may need to continue production, but you obviously want to keep folks safe. You may decide that you're going to run a third shift and maybe additional shifts on the weekends. Well, that's currently not in your contract. That isn't contemplated. There may be different wage differentials that come into play. You would need to notice the union. Um, and then within that, sort of roll out what you anticipate to be uh, the new schedule, and then how do you staff that schedule, the seniority count, bidding rights within your contract. So uh, there's a lot of layers to it, uh, but the first decision is sort of expanding and changing the schedule beyond what was negotiated in your current contract. Um, Then there's wage and hour implications, sort of following up on what I just said in terms of paying people differential. I have nursing home clients who are sort of in the, you know, in, in the thick of this, um, and as uh, patients, residents are getting sick, they're developing dedicated COVID units, and they're asking certain staff to work in those units. Do you recognize that effort? Do you recognize that risk? Many of them want to sort of recognize that financially, again, even though it's more money, um, you still have an obligation. You can't, you can't unilaterally make a change like that without engaging with the union. Nick, what are some of the steps employers should take right now to steady themselves and, and ready themselves for things to come, as you're talking about? Well, I think one of the most important things that you can do is sort of, obviously, a lot of employers are thinking about their operation and thinking about sort of the availability of work, the ability uh, to transfer work and allow employees to telecommute, you know, to sort of, you know, flatten the curve as we're hearing a lot about checking off the boxes required under social distancing. Um, and so part of that un- requires sort of looking at your operation, looking forward um, as this thing seems to be sort of dragging on. I think it's pretty safe given everything that we're hearing um, you know, as of today's date, that uh, we're not going to be returning to normal anytime soon. And hopefully if everybody does their part, that'll be in the early summer. So not only do you have to look at the short term, but you have to look at the long term uh, in terms of your business model and, and realistically uh, what you're going to be able to do or not do. That would be the first step. The second step would be to do an internal audit of your collective bargaining agreement so that you understand what language you have, what limitations you have, what uh, rights you have under that contract. Because not everything in your contract is limiting. Uh, there's probably language in your contract that expresses, expressly allows you to do certain things uh, and to do them with minimal, if any, notice to the union. And one of the places I would check would be, do you have language dealing with emergency emergency situations in your agreement? Typically, that would be found in your management rights clause. The other thing I would look is at your policies and internal policies and procedures uh, and, to, and to see what you have in place and what may need amending either immediately or down the road depending on uh, how long this current crisis lasts and what that what impact that has on your business operations. Given that everything is changing so fast and that employers under the NLRA have an obligation and bargaining have an obligation to give notice to the union of changes 
or uh, material or significant changes in terms of uh, their their work or the workplace or procedures or things like that. What constitutes adequate notice to the union? That would seem to be a big issue right now. You know, you hate, you know, when as a lawyer give a give an answer that starts off, well, it depends, right? Um, but as I mentioned earlier, you know, sort of this in the sort of normal rhythm of the relationship uh, that could, my typical practice is, you know, depending on when you want to roll something out, you work backwards from that date. Um, but I typically, if, you know, we have the luxury of, you know, 30, 45, 60 days, uh, if I were to send out a notice today on Monday, I would probably say to the union, you know, uh, if I don't hear back from you by the end of this week or, you know, Monday date certain, we'll consider that a waiver and that you don't have any issues and we're going to go forward on X date or on or about X date. Um, obviously, in these circumstances, you may not be able to go beyond the end of the week before you implement your change, right? And so that accelerates that notice and maybe where I would just sort of send it by mail to the extent that anybody ever does that. Uh, what I, we are doing and what I recommend clients do is sort of cover all of your basis. You send it by mail, you send an email, you text the business rep, you call the business rep, you know, they are obviously, you know, dealing with the same issues on the other end. And I, I have found them all to be responsive to date. Um, and I find for now, uh, there's a spirit of cooperation with dealing with union presidents and union reps. Um, but, you know, uh, if, if the past is any predictor of the future, um, uh, I think that sort of may start to wear thin. Um, and what was easily agreed to now may become harder uh, down the road as, as companies um, and entities continue to evaluate the situation and their, and their needs and demands uh, change over time. I, I suspect that the union, the novelty of what's going on now will eventually wear off and folks and unions will probably return back to sort of entrenched positions and practices. Um, but while you can make changes now under the current circumstances, uh, um, we are highly recommending that folks try to get as much of that done now uh, rather than sort of uh, drag it out um, over time. You know, in this time of crisis and uncertainty, I'm imagining that unions must be requesting information from employers. Are employers required to respond and in the same manner as they would in, as in a non-crisis manner? Yeah, that obligation hasn't changed, and that has been clearly articulated by National Labor Relations Board. Um, and so the information can come in two forms. I have unions that are Again, sort of going back to the nursing home situation where they're proactively and we're anticipating, um, you know, COVID coming into the facilities and asking about policies and uh, availability and access to PPE uh, and whether there was going to be staffing changes, differentials paid, or making the request for all of those things, uh, asking for additional pay, uh, asking for schedule changes. The other way that the information request could come in is after you send the union, say, uh, again, using the manufacturing example, that we are going to go to a third shift uh, or we're going to open up the plant and we're going to do a shift on Saturday. Uh, as a result of that notice to the union, that may then trigger uh, an information request. And so, yes, your, your obligation doesn't change, um, and the standard... Uh, apply to 
the requirement that you respond is uh, probably one of the lowest hurdles. If the union can make sort of any colorable argument that it's reasonably rel- uh, related uh, to their needs as the exclusive bargaining representative, uh, the NLRB is going to say, turn it over. Um, so, you know, uh, you don't have an obligation to create reports or create policies, um, but you do have an obligation to turn over what you have. And if you don't have anything, that's your answer. We don't have a policy on point or we haven't made a determination at this time as an appropriate answer, if that's the case. Uh, but you do have to answer simply saying, uh, given the circumstances, given the crisis, we can't respond to you um, because that's going to open up. That That is going to set the tone for any discussions you later need to have with the union. Uh, the union is going to say we didn't have the necessary information so that we can make a determination uh, or reach an agreement, um, and that then will eventually lead to an unfair labor practice charge. Nick, what rights do unions have to access the workplace facilities during this pandemic? You know, so many of them have shut down temporarily or permanently. What rights do unions have and what obligations do employers have to union members to access? Oh, you know, I've got to get something or I need to go back for some reason or any reason. So typically you would look at your collective bargaining agreement and most in the overwhelming majority of the contracts that I deal with, there is language or an article dealing with union access and uh, business rep uh, having access to employees or being available sometimes. Uh, it only requires reasonable notice or a day's notice and other contracts I have language that the rep will be on site date and time certain to meet with employees. Um, so obviously you look at your contract first. So the, the, the short answer is yes, the union uh, has the right uh, in most instances to come onto your property. You know, let's leave aside any sort of, if it's during an election, that's a completely different story. But in a mature relationship where you have a union in place, the challenge of course then is given social distancing and other policies that you may have implemented uh, that may curb that access. Right, And so then the key for an employer is to make sure that when the union rep asks to come onto the property and into the building to meet with employees, if you are denying that rep access and citing to a new policy or, current, or, or citing to the current crisis, that you do that across the board and you don't discriminate against them. So if you had, say, another vendor or other vendors coming onto the property uh, or you had you know, your insurance carrier rep come onto the property, um, the union would point to that, that you were discriminating against them, and that would, again, lead to another unfair labor practice charge. So you just have to make sure that you're uniform in your application and you don't discriminate against the business rep looking for access. But obviously, given the circumstances, it is not uncommon for a lot of companies not only to not allow their clients to go off-site, but also barring others to come on-site. That makes sense, treating all parties across the board similarly. One question I had, Nick, is if an employer is in the middle of collective bargaining agreement negotiations, is the employer obligated to continue? We've got social distancing. I mean, things have ground to a halt, but these negotiations typically are really obviously important. They set the terms and conditions of work going forward. What is the deal on that? So my experience has been uh, early in this process, 
that the unions were open to sort of suspending meetings, um, just like everyone else. Ultimately, the union is an employer also, uh, so they have concerns for their employees. Um, but as this is, again, sort of dragged on, is looking more to be uh, our norm, at least for the next couple of months, um, unions are coming forward looking to set up meetings. And I've actually had several meetings sort of using platforms like Zoom, um, and it seems to be working well. So, you know, obviously you wouldn't be meeting face-to-face, um, but given technology, uh, negotiations are going forward. And, I th- you know, I-, I believe that you would have some leeway um, in terms of being able to cancel meetings or reschedule meetings. Um, but if, you know, it was done as part of a larger strategy, particularly uh, if it's a new uh, union and you don't have a CBA in place and you're an employer that barely lost an election and you're not thrilled about the presence of the union, uh, using this as a basis uh, to delay uh, negotiations as a tactic uh, it, it probably is not the best plan forward uh, and would not be well received if there was a charge filed at the NLRB. The other dynamic that seems to be happening um, is that unions are given what is likely to be an economic crisis after the health crisis abates. Uh, I've had several unions uh, come forward and say, you know, that last offer you made wasn't actually bad. We'll take it, right? (laughs) Because uh, probably for concern that, you know, particularly on wages uh, or on staffing levels, things aren't going to get, are not going to be better um, when we come out of this. Um, and so offers that are on the table, sort of interesting that what was categorically rejected two months ago mm. suddenly seems fair and the union is willing to take it. So wrapping up our on air with uh, Myrick O'Connell, with Nick Anestasopoulos uh, from Labor and Employment here at the firm. What sense do you have right now in the area of union organizing during this pandemic? Um, are they able to do anything in terms of organizing? And has this pandemic caused an increase in the desire to organize or has it been neutral? What's been going on in that area? I think it's a great question. It sort of dovetails to sort of almost a wrap-up, right? So because of uh, social distancing, et cetera, I think it's really probably really difficult for the union uh, to organize currently if they were in the middle of a, uh, a drive to collect signatures and have meetings. You know, typically uh, a union will f- find like a Sons of Italy or a, or a local watering hole, a pool hall, a pizza shop that's near the company, the school, uh, the DPW barn, whatever the case may be, uh, and they'll host meetings. Um, obviously, that's um, impossible to do. Business reps aren't going to people's homes. Right now isn't really a great time uh, to be making telephone calls uh, at home and talking to employees about uh, joining a union when there are other things, first and foremost, on their minds. Um, but what I would say, and almost as a wrap-up to that question, what most empl- what employers will be judged by, by their employees, is how they handle this. And, and if employers are, handle this crisis poorly in terms of communication, thoughtfulness towards their employees, appreciation of their employees, uh, that is the sweet spot and that is the crack in the foundation that the union will use for its organizing campaign going forward. So if there's anything that I would sort of tell employees to think about, what I would end with is what I started with, you know, understanding the strong economy and the strong job market 
um, employers may want to think long and hard what they do and how they treat their employees during this crisis. You know, I think we are all hopeful, politics aside, uh, that the president is right, that the economy is strong, and when this crisis ends, we will rebound and it will be a strong economy. If that's the case, again, employers should think long and hard um, how they handled this crisis and how they treated their employees. Um, particularly if they're in an industry or a space that there is uh, union saturation or union presence. And if they have any concerns in the past about a union uh, or unionizing efforts, uh, they may want to think about that uh, as they make their decisions going forward. Really helpful information, Nick. And this so much of what you're talking about is really where the rubber meets the road here, because this is affecting people's livelihoods, it's affecting unions, employers, just everybody. So, really appreciate this. Today's guest on On Air with Myrick O'Connell has been, and you've been listening to, attorney Nick Anestisopoulos. Nick, how can folks contact you with questions, concerns? If you go on our website, I can be reached by email at nanestisopoulos at myrickoconnell.com. Also, uh, I can be reached by phone, 508-860-1482. Thanks, Nick. You're welcome. Thank you. You can learn how Nick and his colleagues at Myrick O'Connell can assist you with your business and personal legal needs by visiting MyrickO'Connell.com. I'm Howard Kaplan. On behalf of Myrick O'Connell and attorney Nick Anastasopoulos, thanks for joining us. Take care and stay well. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court.